Hi everyone, my name is Melissa Lee and I'm your health coach who targets women with PCOS and women in general who wants to achieve stubborn weight loss. I do my best work when I work with PCOS urban women in their 30s who are embarrassed about their weight but want to feel comfortable in their bodies and are able to lose stubborn weight naturally. In this podcast, we talk about various topics including why stubborn weight loss is so hard to achieve. If this is you, definitely put this in your podcast list because one episode will be released every single week. Hi everyone, I have Dr. Kalia Wattles on the show today. She's a naturopathic physician specializing in fertility and functional medicine. She combines her naturopathic and functional medicine training to treat patients with a functional fertility perspective using a root cause, science-based body systems approach to cultivating a fertile body. I'm really excited to have her on the show today, um, and I want to hear how she approaches fertility from a functional perspective. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here with you and to get started. So my first question to you is, what is functional fertility? Yeah, this is a great question and one that I love to talk about the most. And you mentioned this a little bit in your intro, but what I'll say is that functional fertility is really, um, it's a root cause, patient-centered, whole person approach to supporting reproductive health, but also to overall health and overall wellness. This is a fertility-friendly lifestyle and mindset. It's really about looking at all of the contributors that set someone on their health trajectory. So understanding their whole story, their whole history, and and understanding that we have to address all of those factors to really support any aspect of their health. And functional fertility is really about, like you mentioned already, cultivating that fertile body. And that's whether you want to get pregnant tomorrow or in five years, or maybe you've already had children and you just want to support your reproductive wellness. So functional, uh, you know, fertility optimization is really about giving my patients all of the options to engage with their reproductive health, whatever that looks like for them right now. And it's, it's not always just about getting pregnant. When you're functionally fertile, that means you have you know, healthy hormones and adequate nutrient stores, uh, enough that you could give to someone else, uh, a balanced stress response, a toned immune system, healthy inflammation. So this really speaks to reproductive health, but also overall health and vitality. I always tell people, I don't treat conditions. I don't treat diagnosis codes. I treat people. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really kind of the functional fertility approach in a nutshell. I love that. I love when you said um, you treat, you know, people as people and not as labels. I think we tend to get very drawn into having a condition or a diagnosis. And then we, you know, we label ourselves as like being like, for example, like having PCOS, oh, I must not be able to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's easy to kind of um, put protocols on certain conditions. And I really try hard not to do that. I mean, of course, there's things that work for most people, but I try to really look at people as an individual because I know that someone's health timeline and, you know, all of the things that contribute to their health are going to make them different from someone else with the same diagnosis. And that's really the foundation of functional medicine and something that I roll over into my fertility practice with with each person I see. So as women with PCOS, how do we begin to view fertility? Like how do we veer away from that mindset of, you know, like not being able to get pregnant? Mm -hmm. I see this all the time with my patients with 
PCOS and they were told by another provider that they won't get pregnant or that it's going to be really hard. And from my experience, those those blanket statements, number one, people really internalize words that that people that they, you know, place in a um, a position of expertise say. And so I think it's really unfortunate when doctors even put that language out there that you're not going to get pregnant because it's hard not to internalize that. Mm -hmm. um, but in, a, in many cases, it's just simply not true. We can't apply those generalizations to just anyone because they have PCOS. And there's certainly some additional factors to address, but people with PCOS can absolutely have functional fertility. They can get pregnant. They can have healthy babies. So I'll tell you a little bit about my approach to PCOS in the clinic. Mm -hmm. Think that oh, might please help. do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do we reclaim our fertility, as I would say? Oh, I love that. I love that <laughs> reclaiming. Yes, that's beautiful. Um, like we mentioned in, in the intro that you gave, I'm kind of a root cause, root cause approach type of doctor. And so often in, in the clinic, I'm starting with looking at gut health. There's so much research coming out about the connection between gut health and inflammation and PCOS. And one good example here is, you know, if someone has leaky gut for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, medications or food intolerances, whatever the inflammatory trigger is, they have intestinal hyperpermeability, so leaky gut. Now that means that particles from inside the intestinal tract can traverse the intestinal wall, end up in the bloodstream, and now they have access to anywhere in the body, including the ovaries. And there's all of this evidence showing that those particles can increase inflammation in the ovaries, so it's preventing ovulation, it's preventing progesterone production, causing all of these um, fertility problems. So it doesn't make any sense if I only treat you know, the hormonal aspect of PCOS, if I'm not looking into the root cause of those dysfunctions. So I'm often starting um, with gut health, figuring out, is there a leaky gut situation? Is that the source of inflammation? Um, and then when all of that is worked out, I certainly work to support hormones. And many times in PCOS, that means, um, you know, we have to support insulin sensitivity. That's kind of one of the hallmarks, not for everyone, but of many people with PCOS is insulin resistance. So we have to work on supporting insulin sensitivity, which will help to reduce testosterone, um, which leads to you know, some of the, the acne and the metabolic syndrome um, and the fertility troubles that can come along with PCOS, but insulin is really at the root of this. And so you know, I, I love to work with a nutritionist, that's super helpful, but there's a lot that I can do with both you know, diet, supplements, lifestyle mm. things. So myoinositol is a really common um, supplement that I'm using in my practice. It's very helpful for increasing um, insulin sensitivity. So I'm giving that quite often. And then of course, the nutritional tips that you talk about a lot on your social media, the things like uh, increasing soluble fiber, increasing fatty acids. Uh, I love to use um, kind of culinary-based insulin sensitizers. Just things like cinnamon is really mm -hmm. Uh, that can really help to manage our blood sugar, avoiding artificial sweeteners, which can falsely elevate blood sugar, uh, making sure that people are hydrated because less water in your body means higher blood sugar concentration. Um, of course, focusing on stress. We know that stress increases blood glucose, which can then cause some insulin dysregulation, uh, avoiding more high glycemic carbs, focusing on lower glycemic phytonutrient dense. So certainly lots of work 
can be done to support insulin sensitivity, which can be so helpful in regulating ovulation. Um, this is turning into a long-winded answer, but I'm so <laughs> I'll tell you a couple more things. Mm -hmm. I often find when I'm doing blood work um, with my patients with PCOS that there's elevated inflammation. And so I want to call in all of the anti-inflammatory support, whether that's fish oil, uh, curcumin, all kinds of tools to support that inflammatory response, because there is a relationship between inflammation and insulin and menstrual cycle irregularity. So that's really important. Um, and then using tools to support communication between the brains and the ovaries, maybe something like Vitex that can help support that uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal ovarian gut axis that's so important to make sure all of our body systems are talking. So that's uh, in a really general way, sort of how mm -hmm. I approach both PCOS for, for whole health promotion, but then in terms of fertility specifically. That's a really great uh, preview, actually, of what I want to ask you a little bit more uh, later on. So I do want to ask you about some testing and also like some, is there any like specific foods to support fertility? Yeah. So um, you mentioned ovulation in your explanation earlier. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us like why ovulation is so important? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, most of us will say the menstrual cycle. But I've seen some other healthcare providers, they start saying, let's call it the ovulation cycle, because really that's the main event of this. Oh, thing. I like that. Yeah. Isn't that's that kind of cool? Event. It's like all the, totally. the hormone orchestra and every all of the events that our body goes to, it's really building up for this big event, which is mm -hmm. ovulation. Um, so I, I love to talk about ovulation. And um, basically what happens is you have you know, egg cells that are within your ovary and they're surrounded by these cells that I love to talk about. They're called granulosa cells. And these are the cells that nourish our egg cells. And the granulosa cells receive signals from the brain, so follicle stimulating hormone in the first half of the cycle. And that tells these granulosa cells to start nourishing a cohort of eggs and growing them and preparing that golden egg that's going to be released in an, in an ovulation cycle. And so the granulosa cells are doing their work and at the appropriate time when estrogen signaling has increased, then we get a surge of luteinizing hormone from the brain um, that reaches our granulosa cells and says, okay, now let's take our golden egg that's our favorite one and we're going to release it. We're going to ovulate. And so that egg is ovulated and now we can have conception if sperm are waiting, which is so exciting if you're trying to get pregnant. And that sac where the granulosa cells were that that egg has burst from becomes a structure called the corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum then starts producing progesterone. So really your main progesterone um, production happens only if you're ovulating. And it's very important that we have progesterone to oppose the effects of estrogen. So estrogen is a growth promoting hormone, which is why we see that there's estrogen dependent um, conditions like fibroids, endometriosis. So making sure that there's adequate opposition with progesterone is super important um, just to make sure that that, that growth, that, that cellular growth is under control. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, if you're trying to get pregnant, ovulation is the, the absolutely most essential part of that process. So that's kind of the therapeutic goal often when patients come in and they have PCOS they want to get pregnant, we have to make sure that they're ovulating. And we, we do that through many of the things that I've already talked about. Um, 
and that's why I tell people, you know, if you think you want to get pregnant next year or in six months, let's start now. Let's start building those foundations now because it can take some time to zone in on those cycles and get them regular, make sure ovulation is happening. Um, so the sooner the better to do our health promotion in terms of fertility. So um, women with PCOS, I guess we tend to not have adequate progesterone. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, some of us have like really long cycles. Yeah. I've heard that um, some women, they go to see their doctors and they get put on progesterone, like maybe like the first um, eight to 12 weeks and then they go off it. But I'm, I, also, I also feel like that's not enough. Like, do you actually monitor progesterone when someone gets pregnant? This is a great question. There's a lot of different strategies that you can go about in terms of, you know, do we give progesterone? Mm -hmm. I, I like the idea of doing kind of a bioidentical progesterone, whether that's oral or with a cream in the second half of the cycle, because we know that in a normal situation, someone's going to ovulate, progesterone is going to increase for their luteal phase, that second half of their cycle. But if someone's not you know, ovulating regularly, we can give some a little bit of progesterone to start to mimic that natural cyclicity and kind of give the body a jump start to say, oh yeah, this is what a regular cycle feels like. We're supposed to have progesterone here in the second half of the cycle. And so I, I do think that there is some utility to using some um, supplemental progesterone for some amount of time. Now, the, the catch here is if someone's cycle is very uh, irregular and they want to get pregnant right away, mm -hmm. if you give progesterone before you ovulate, you kind of trick the brain into thinking that you're already pregnant and so you won't actually ovulate. So there has to be a lot of uh, education with the patient and the doctor to understand that um, if you are trying to get pregnant right away, that you'll want to uh, make sure you're ovulating before you bring on the progesterone. So oftentimes I'm using with patients things like basal body temperature, ovulation predictor kits, we'll even do some blood work if necessary to make sure that they've ovulated before we bring on the progesterone because I don't want to stop someone from ovulating if their goal is to get pregnant right away. Right, yeah, so it all goes back to the importance of making sure we ovulate in the first place. Mm -hmm, exactly. And just, uh, I think it's worth a mention that I oftentimes do that with blood work. So I want to catch, if someone has a normal, you know, 28 day cycle, um, then we'll look around day 21. We want to, we want to look about a week after someone ovulates to measure their progesterone in their blood. Um, and that can be really helpful because it, it tells us not only did they ovulate, but how much progesterone they're making, which speaks a bit to their egg quality. So it's really, really information. And um, so I love, I love to measure progesterone. And I know you said you're excited to talk about some labs later on. So I'll hold <laughs> it is an option to test mm -hmm. progesterone blood, which I think can be really um, reassuring if you're not positive that you're ovulating. Right. Yeah. Um, so what else affects our fertility chances besides age? I know this is like a really big topic because you know, a lot of women are like either thinking they can't get pregnant at a certain age or they don't want to wait. And there's like so much like mental and emotional issues surrounding that too. Yeah, this is a big one. There's so many factors that um, play a role in this and I'll touch on a couple, but you know, age is, is just, it's just a number. It's what it is. 
Right. It is what it is. And, and, you know, it certainly plays a role. We know that, that fertility declines with age, but we also know why. It's things like mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, inflammation, which all of those things combined kind of um, are this topic called inflammaging. So I'll, I'll go through these a little bit and, and tell you a little bit about my thoughts on how, what else can we do to increase our, our fertility success? And probably my absolute favorite thing to talk about in, in terms of what else can we do is mitochondrial health. This is such a big deal. This is always one of my top priorities, especially in PCOS where ovulation and regular ovulation is a bit of a concern. Mm -hmm. So just as a, a reminder, if we think back to like 10th grade biology and we think back about mitochondria, these are the, the energy producers of our cells, our energy powerhouses, and they make um, basically the energetic money for our cells, which is called ATP. So it's very important that we have healthy mitochondria so that we have enough cellular energy. And this really has a role to play in egg quality. You know, when we look, especially in the IVF clinic, we see that mitochondrial function almost determines the success of an embryo. It's so important actually that now there's this really fascinating technology where they're taking um, they're doing transplants of mitochondria from healthy cells into cells that have less healthy mitochondria, um, and that can really improve egg quality. And this is really important in, you know, uh, patient populations like those with endometriosis or PCOS, where there can tend to be a bit more inflammation and mm -hmm. reduced ATP production. Because ATP is basically the the energetic source that drives energetically expensive processes forward. Things like ovulation, fertilization, implantation, these are all uh, energetically expensive. So adequate ATP uh, is absolutely necessary to make sure that those events are happening regularly. And then oh. in terms of the age component, mm -hmm. mitochondria plays a role here because there's an age-related decline in mitochondrial function and in DNA mutations of mitochondrial DNA. And that really serves as an important biomarker for egg quality and the success of embryos. So anything we can do to preserve that mitochondrial health is ultimately going to slow ovarian aging and allow us to get pregnant later in life. So that will lead me to my next question. How would someone know if, you know, the mitochondrial is like, um, like, like optimal or like how can we know, like what do we do to actually like enhance it? Mm -hmm. This is uh, such a good question because what I will say is I, I don't really do any specific mitochondrial testing because mm -hmm. if anyone wants to support their fertility, I, I pretty much just assume that we need to support the mitochondria because in the world that we live in today, we are exposed to you know, uh, lots of environmental toxins and elevated blood sugar and all kinds of things that can kind of make our mitochondria not so happy. And so I just automatically in the preconception phase with anyone, I start doing therapy therapies to boost their mitochondria. So things like uh, CoQ10 is my absolute favorite mitochondrial support. Resveratrol is an excellent one. Lots of research about improving mitochondrial function in the actual ovary. And so that's really exciting. Things like green tea, exercise. Um, actually, if you, 
if you get some cold exposure, which mm -hmm. even just like 60 degrees counts as cold exposure, that can really support your mitochondria and power up your mitochondria, which I live in Seattle and it's 60 <laughs> or lower. Like you almost have plenty day. of cold exposure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but then I also think about things in our clinic, um, we can also do things like IV glutathione. So glutathione being our kind of master antioxidant in the body is really good for mitochondrial support. So there's lots of different options. And I just, I just bring those on board for most people who are trying to get pregnant. Would NAC be part of that toolkit too? Absolutely. NAC is definitely on that list. Also, things like alpha lipoic acid, quercetin, those are all great um, things to reduce inflammation, uh, mm -hmm. support mitochondrial health, reduce oxidative stress. And this is also a big one for increasing kind of fertility longevity because I love to think about this. It's so fascinating that eggs in the ovary are regularly exposed to oxidative stress. It, if you think about the fact that we are egg cells, in our mother's body when she is in our grandmother's womb, right? That's my mm -hmm. right. And so that's potentially three generations of oxidative stress that we are exposed to, and that's fine. That's healthy and normal as long as there's enough antioxidants uh, to protect our egg cells from cellular damage. So uh, assessing sources of oxidative stress, getting antioxidants on board, and that can be simple. It can be a, a dietary, like eating the rainbow. That's how we get antioxidants. And then we bring on supplements as a secondary option. Um, so it's certainly oxidative stress. And then the last thing I'll say here with this super long answer is the hormonal component, certainly estrogen and testosterone, but I also, thyroid is a big, big, big mm -hmm. piece of this puzzle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know that maybe even up to a third of women who experience subfertility have undiagnosed thyroid disease. And I always talk to patients about, we have to do a full thyroid assessment because it's not just your thyroid hormones. We definitely have to make sure that your brain and your thyroid are talking, but then also that your thyroid is adequately responding by producing thyroid hormone. But then we also have to look at things like thyroid antibodies, because even in the setting of normal thyroid hormone, if we have thyroid antibodies, that can lead to subfertility, problems getting pregnant, pregnancy complications. Um, and so it's really important that, we, that we're looking at all aspects of you know, mitochondria, oxidative stress, hormonal health. It's, 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 all, uh, it's all important. Right. And the thyroid, it affects like everything, right? It affects the immune system and digestive system. It's like when you have a sluggish thyroid, you have sluggish everything. And that would definitely impact someone's ability to be pregnant. Exactly right. And thyroid, there's receptors for thyroid hormone on basically every cell in the body. And so that's extremely, extremely important, including those granulosa cells that I was talking about earlier that nourish our egg cells. They have receptors for thyroid hormone and, and thyroid hormone is actually responsible for activating those cells. And so when we don't have adequate thyroid hormone, we don't have adequate activation of our granulosa cells. And then we see that there's problems um, developing and maturing our egg cells, which can result in anovulation or a lack of ovulation. And especially mm -hmm. my patients that already have PCOS. And so there's already some, um, you know, a hormonal picture of uh, ovulation disruption. I want to eliminate all of the variables and make sure thyroid is not contributing to that process. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, 
the science the science geek in me loves all your scientific um, explanations. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I know. So, so you were talking about you know all these like supplements to help with mitochondria health and mm-hmm. like curcumin and cinnamon. Um, let's move on to what kind of foods are actually important to support fertility. Oh, I love this one. There's so many good foods to support fertility. Um, my undergraduate degree is in nutrition, so I love learning about therapeutic foods. I'm definitely a food first type of doctor, and we're always, that's the foundation of any treatment plan, right, is the right mm-hmm. diet. Plan. And so um, I will say that my, it's, people always want a food plan. Like what, what food plan that already exists can I go on? And mm-hmm. I'm very often recommending the Mediterranean diet. It's very well researched in terms of improving IVF outcomes, but there's there's pillars of the of the Mediterranean diet that I think can be applied across whatever your eating style is, and that to me means you know first of all the higher content of omega three fatty acids that are so anti-inflammatory, um, they support cell membranes, and they might even improve fertility because it helps you maintain your healthy blood viscosity. So the blood is you know, able to flow freely through the pelvis. It can nourish those reproductive organs. And so I think that's really important. It's also you know, glycemic, low glycemic, the, the carbohydrates are all very healthy. And so we're not having these big spikes of blood glucose and then insulin since we already know that that can be an issue. A Mediterranean style diet that focuses on you know fruits and vegetables and fish and healthy fats, it tends to be higher in vitamin B6 and folate, those crucial fertility boosting nutrients. And so that's really important. Um, and then the final piece to this is adequate dietary fiber from the vegetables, from the fruits and the whole grains to keep the bowel, the, the bowel moving regularly, which is so important for you know removing toxins, removing hormone metabolites. So mm. I love the Mediterranean diet. I think it, it hits on so many of those important pillars for a fertility diet. Yeah, I find that it's like a really good base for anyone, actually. Um, and I'm so glad that you talked about that. I just want to take a quick moment to talk to you about modern fertility. If you are someone who wants to get pregnant real soon, or if you're anyone in your age 20s or 30s, if you want to have kids in the next five years, if you're considering freezing your eggs, or if you suspect your hormones are imbalanced, such as if you have PCOS or if you actually went off birth control, Um, I would encourage you to look up Modern Fertility. Modern Fertility is actually a comprehensive fertility hormone test for women that you can take at home. The online experience includes a physician-reviewed personalized report, access to weekly webinars, and actually a free one-to-one consultation with a fertility nurse. I love Modern Fertility and they are incredible because they are giving us women a super easy at home test which costs only 159 dollars when when it is so much more expensive to go to a fertility clinic and get that same hormone test for more than a thousand five hundred dollars So with Modern Fertility, this test actually gives you access to the information you need to help to plan ahead and navigate the world of fertility. 
All tests are conducted in a certified lab, and Modern Fertility's team of physicians and clinical advisors lead some of the nation's top fertility clinics. With Modern Fertility, if you are currently pregnant or breastfeeding, the hormone test will not work for you. And if you're over 45 years old, this will not work for you either. I'm really excited to share with you about this test because for women with PCOS, we have a lower chance or we seem to have a lower chance of conceiving. And having this test, knowing exactly where your hormones levels are and knowing how good your egg reserve is, will actually give you a clearer mental picture of whether you can conceive or not. And if your chances are low, heck, you can actually kind of plan, a, you can plan ahead, right? You can plan two or three years ahead. So the modern fertility test will actually tell you if you have more or less eggs than average and what you can expect from egg freezing and IVF and actually how your hormone levels relate to PCOS, which is what one in 10 women have. And the overall result is you have a broader clarification and understanding of your general hormone health. So... Modern fertility, it depends, it goes on eight fertility hormones that they test. And if you aren't sure and you're not ready to buy, you can always go to modernfertility.com where you can take a quiz to receive more information about it and go straight to kind of building your own timeline tool on the website. So basically inputting your, your age and how many kids you want and they will actually give you a timeline of when you should be thinking of conceiving in order to get the specific goal how cool is that and the best thing about modern fertility is that you get support from the modern community where you can find women supporting women regarding their own personal fertility journeys i for one I'm so excited to share my modern fertility results with you. I recently got my test in the kit and I'm waiting for day three of my period to actually do the test at home and send it back to the lab. So for more information and if you're ready to dive deep and want to get your own modern fertility test kit, you can get 10% off. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash nourishmail to get your kit. Once again, go to modernfertility.com slash nourishmail to get your modern fertility kit today. Um, it hit me that you were talking about folate and um, I've been hearing that, you know, women are kind of confused as whether to look for folate or folic acid in their prenatals. Like, could you speak more about that? Sure. So I definitely prefer the prenatal vitamins that contain methylfolate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so many people, uh, we have to methylate our B vitamins in order to use them, in order to make them bioavailable. And a lot of people have problems with that. Now, I think the, the issue is in the, there's some conflicting research about if people over methylate, they have too many methylated vitamins, then they can have things like um, anxiety and, and mood changes in my experience, it's it's much more rare for people to be over-methylating than to be under-methylating. But of course, we've already talked about the individuality. Um, and so who it, who knows? We don't, we don't know that information about people unless we do some, um, some more advanced testing on them. Mm -hmm. so I kind of default to the methylated folate 
in, in the um, prenatal vitamins. And then if people have symptoms to that, then we explore. But I think what's great about food sources of those vitamins is those are vitamins that you can use. And so I, I love to, to get these nutrients from food whenever possible, because then we don't really have to worry about, or are we overdosing in this specific right. form? The food mm -hmm. is what's healthy for us, right? So yeah. I think that's an awesome part of making sure that the foundation of our diet has those vitamins and minerals and nutrients. Always whole foods. Whole foods come first. Exactly. Okay, so um, this is going to be fun. So let's talk about some testing that we need mm -hmm. to do before we try and conceive. Um, I would love to hear, you know, your perspective on, um, what is that test? Oh, thyroid, thyroid testing, and then mm -hmm. also the Dutch test. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. So I, I'll tell you my approach to testing just for anyone that comes in for preconception care. So this is a mixture of standard blood work, you know, standard things that is well covered by insurance, and then the advanced functional testing like the Dutch test. So I always start with doing some blood work. So how that looks is the patient comes in and then on day three of their menstrual cycle, it has to be you know, on day on day two or day three preferably, we do a full panel that looks at things like hormones. So our estradiol, which is our main circulating form of estrogen, uh, testosterone, our follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone that we just talked about, um, our DHEA. We look at a bunch of different hormones, including our thyroid hormones and thyroid antibodies. Um, I also look at a complete blood count for my patients. So I know their, their red blood cells, their white blood cells, I also look at something called ferritin, which is a storage form of iron. This is really important because it's highly involved in um, those granulosa cells that I talked about. It's also involved in building up a nice um, fluffy endometrium, which is that innermost layer of the uterus where a, an embryo will land. So I definitely assess iron stores. Um, I look at uh, markers of blood glucose regulation, so a comprehensive metabolic panel and fasting insulin. I wanna know how insulin is potentially contributing to any hormonal imbalances I find. Mm -hmm. Then I look at inflammatory markers just to make sure that we don't need to tone down inflammation before someone tries to get pregnant. So all kinds of labs on day three. It's a huge panel. I always tell my patients we're going to take quite a bit of blood. You'll have to <laughs> bring a snack with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, we, oops, sorry. No worries. I, I just said uh, I can imagine that like taking a lot of blood for all this testing. In a functional medicine world, we're very thorough. We ask a lot of questions and we, we do draw quite a bit of blood. So that's what we do on day three, uh, hormones and inflammation, all kinds of things to make sure that someone is foundationally healthy. And then oftentimes we're doing that draw later on in the cycle to assess their progesterone. So day 21-ish, if they have um, a regular cycle, maybe later in the cycle, if they have some irregularity, we figure that part out together. Um, and then also, I forgot to mention on my day three labs, I'm, I'm often running anti-malarian hormone or AMH. This is a marker of ovarian reserve. And so those granulosa cells that I'm clearly so fond of, um, mm -hmm. they produce this hormone called anti-malarian hormone, which gives us a sense of how many eggs are remaining inside the ovary. And so that helps guide our conversations about, you know, do you want to 
wait for several years to try to get pregnant? Should we discuss things like egg freezing? What is that looking like? Um, so that's a nice, important piece of information to have. So we do those, we do the serum progesterone, and then we can talk about adding in these functional laboratory diagnostics like the Dutch test that you mentioned. I love to do hormone testing in the blood because the reference ranges are really straightforward. It's easy for me to monitor treatments, but it's just a snapshot in time, right? It just tells me what that person's hormones are doing at any given moment, and those can fluctuate. So something like the Dutch test, or I often use the hormone testing from Genova Diagnostics can be really helpful to find out how your hormones are working over a couple days or over a whole menstrual cycle and how those hormones are being metabolized, which is so important because we have therapeutics that can shift how hormones are metabolized. So I, I do like to do some Dutch testing. I, I don't do it with everyone because it is a bit um, cost prohibitive, but if someone's interested, it's certainly helpful information. Additionally, in terms of functional labs, we think about doing things like a comprehensive stool analysis. This is very helpful to figure out, are there microbiome imbalances? Are there gut infections? Is there gut inflammation? That also tells us a bit about estrogen recycling in the gut by measuring um, an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase that's involved in estrogen recycling. So I love, love, love to do stool testing for fertility. Um, as well as I use a test called the NutriVal, which is a micronutrient assessment. It looks at uh, several nutrients to determine if, we're, if we have adequate things like B vitamins and CoQ10 and vitamin A, all kinds of vitamins and minerals. It also looks at our antioxidant capacity, our oxidative stress, some toxic exposures. We've already talked about how important all of those are for fertility. So the fact I can get it on one test is a kind of a game changer. Um, and then we think about also often I'm doing an adrenal stress index. So measuring how our adrenal glands are coping with stress by producing cortisol, um, because that's really important in terms of inflammation and sleep. Uh, so we definitely have lots of options for both standard and functional lab testing. That sounds really comprehensive. Um, that's awesome. So is there anything else we need to think about when we want to try and conceive? I mean, besides everything that we've talked about, is there anything else that you would like women to know? I think I just want to highlight once again that mm -hmm. the sooner the better to start supporting your fertility health. Because, you know, for example, it takes about about four months for both a, a, a new cohort of eggs within the ovary to develop and for a, a whole new cohort of sperm to be produced. And so four months is good, six months is better. A whole year would be so magical if everyone thought, you know, I'm, I want a family and I'm going to start planning for it right now because there's so much that we can do. And I think it's so um, defeating and heartbreaking when when you're ready and then you realize you have all of this work to do. Then you have to support the mitochondria and do all of the diet stuff and and do all of the you know egg quality support that we know is going to make a difference, but not for three to four months. And when you're ready to get pregnant, you were ready yesterday. Three or four months seems like an eternity. And so I just want to um, end with the note that knowledge is power and, and being proactive is very empowering, knowing that you're setting yourself up for success when you're ready. So true. And like lifestyle changes, you know, for a lot of us, like even stress management or um, getting good sleep or changing the diet can be like a real 
um, it takes time, you know, like it takes time for us to not still be addicted to the things that we like. So yeah, I definitely agree with you to start earlier. Absolutely. And then we have time to experiment and get to know mm -hmm. our patterns and the pressure, the pressure, it doesn't feel so great. And I think from a mental health standpoint, that's just better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for all that. I think, wow, there's a lot to learn from there. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your practice? Yes. All kinds of places you can find mm -hmm. me. Um, the first place to start is my website, which is just drkaliawaddles.com. I love social media. I love Instagram. So I'm always posting content on my Instagram, which is at functional fertility. And then if you'd like to check out uh, the clinic where I see patients, that's Vita Integrated Health here in Bellevue, Washington. And the Vita website is thinkvita.com. And do you offer virtual uh, consultations too? I do offer virtual consultations. Unfortunately, it's at this time limited to only patients in Washington State here where I hold a medical license. Mm -hmm. uh, so in-person and virtual for patients in Washington. Okay, got it. And I can attest to anyone who's listening that her Instagram is very lively and very um, full of information. That's how I, I first found out about Dr. Clea. So thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so good to talk to you.